1: And welcome to All Things Therapy Podcast. It's so good to be back with you this week. I have taken a break since March 11th to kind of move some through my own personal challenges that I spoke about on that March 11th episode, having to do with the stages of grief and loss and actually utilizing the chakra system to help when you're going through a time of of loss and grieving that loss, as I have been over the passing of a dear friend of mine, unexpectedly. So I encourage you to go back to that episode on March 11th if you are navigating something that is a personal loss for you or someone close to you. And in my book, The Chiron Effect, Healing Our Core Wounds Through Astrology, empathy, and self-forgiveness. I talk about it's not just the passing of time that heals our wounds. I think that's a myth. It's actually what we do with that time as it passes, which contributes to our healing and assimilation of what's happened or not. And so if you're looking for another resource of the many that are available, please go check out my book. I have a Copy of it here, the Chiron Effect, on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Your local bookstore will order it for you if you give them my name and/or the title. It's available at Walmart.com and as an audiobook on Audible. I am the narrator and spent 20 hours speaking the book for you. So I'd love for you to have it. There are so many tips and techniques and tools to help heal your own areas of vulnerability up to and including the wounds that we have when we've gone through traumatic incidences, experiences, and losses. And please follow me on social media if you're not already. I'm at NOLA Therapy, which is also my website, nolatherapy.com. It stands for New Orleans, Los Angeles Therapy. Easy to remember on Facebook, on Instagram. And on the web, you're able to schedule sessions with me virtually through Skype, phone, FaceTime, and Zoom. There's an online empowerment class that I offer teaching you some tips and techniques that I use in my own life, authors that have really helped me learn and develop personally and professionally. So I invite you just to go to NOLA therapy because I want to get right into my guest. He is contributing in a really large way to our positive mental health and sense of well-being. I just loved this book that he wrote. It is called Depression, Anxiety, and Other Things We Don't Want to Talk About. Really clever cover like a pill bottle because you probably know there's just the over-prescription of pharmaceuticals to treat Normal human grief, normal human loss, things that are part of our lifespan and life experiences are so quickly medicated versus us really looking at the lessons and offerings that these experiences and even our own emotions have to guide and direct us. So Ryan Casey Waller is going to help us understand all of this at the deeper layers. He is a licensed psychotherapist. He's an ordained minister. He's a lawyer as well as an author, and one of the things I really enjoyed about Ryan's book is his authentic and transparent nature and in, in sharing with you as the reader his vulnerabilities and own personal struggles with mental health regarding depression, anxiety, and addiction. So with that, I just want to welcome you, Ryan, to the show.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Happy to be here. You're welcome. How are you today in Dallas?
0: I'm really well. Thank you. It's uh it's yeah. gorgeous here in Dallas. We we get a little bit of spring before it cooks up to the heat of summer. So, savoring these days where it's 60 degrees and the sun is out. So, it's a good day. Nothing to complain about. So
1: nice. It's a, yeah. yes, it sounds like a good day. Yeah. So, you know, of of the themes in your book, one of the ones I picked up early on and I really thought it was so important, is this theme having to do with we're not alone. And mm. when we feel depressed, there's this sense that we're just all alone in this. And it does contribute to suicide, which you address directly in your book. Can you kind of start with this there and weave in anything else important around our sense of not being alone, truly? Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. Yeah, it, it comes from a, a, you know, a fundamental belief of mine That human beings are better together. That essentially the way that we are made to exist in this world is by connecting to one another and growing in that connection through through space and time. I just don't think that this world is all that hospitable to anyone trying to navigate it on their own. And, And yet, right? Especially here in America, where we are kind of a very individualistic society, we really, really laud this virtue of independence, you know, from a very early age, and we praise those who kind of demonstrate an independence, and that creates a great deal of tension for us as we, as we grow and as we age. And I've found, particularly with people who struggle with any kind of mental health issue, there is typically this sense of um, or, or, or at least a barrier oftentimes to seeking out the help that we need to get. And that is, well, I should be able to manage this on my own. I should somehow be able to deal and regulate my emotions or calm my psyche or control my drinking or my drug use on my own because, you know, that's what's kind of a good, hardworking Protestant ethic Mm -hmm. produces. And it's just, it's just not true. It's problematic. And it just creates for a lot of unnecessary misery. And so we've seen this even heightened too, with the pandemic, right? With the loneliness, with us being cut off from one another, and we've seen how this has affected us. And so I come at, everything that I do from a systems-based perspective. I'm a, you know, licensed marriage and family therapist. And so I think to help understand humans and to walk alongside one another, we have to understand our context. We've got to understand all the many different contexts that we live in, all the different systems that we're a part of and how we're connected to those or disconnected from those and how either those systems are helping, uh, provide us healthy spaces or more or more toxic so we're just meant to be together um, both from a psychological emotional physical spiritual place that's a fundamental belief of mine
1: and Ryan as you're speaking I'm thinking of shame-based identity as an offshoot as a result of the belief and our culture of having to figure things out alone And Mm. if we reach out for help and then tying that into the faith-based community that you're a part of as an ordained minister and pastor, and just how that adds an extra layer that really is debilitating for people. Can you speak to us about how your experience with this? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So part
0: of the reason I got really interested in working in mental health was when I was working full-time as an Episcopal priest in a church, what would happen is that people would come to my office and they would come at a a point of inflection. Their life was in crisis. Something was going on. And they would describe to me what was happening. And what they wanted from me was some kind of prayer or a blessing or maybe unconsciously, like kind of like a miracle, right? It was like a Hail Mary. Mm -hmm. Like everything else is sort of just not going right. Let me go to the priest. And maybe, you know, in an instant, something will happen. Yeah. And as I was listening to them describe what was going on, you know, I would often say, you know, I'm happy. I'm happy to to pray with you. I'm happy to be here with you. But what you're describing sounds to me like maybe it's like depression, or 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 maybe it's a substance. I wonder if you've ever considered, right, going and and talking to a professional, because I would recognize. That the issues that were going on were outside of my scope of practice. Okay, and so when I would recommend that they perhaps pursue the conversation with somebody that was more highly trained, a couple of different things would happen. They would instantly uh, kind of jump back and go, "Oh, well, you know, it, it's actually it's actually not that bad, right? Mm. Uh, not that bad." They minimize. They would minimize, or they would say, "Well, you know, that's you know, seeking out professional help." Um For anything that 's psychological or emotional that 's just not something that we really do in my family okay. because honestly if i 'm a person of faith, then if i 've got to reach out beyond the even the faith network right beyond the priest, well then that 's somehow me um basically saying there 's something wrong with my faith right mm. like i don 't have the appropriate trust in God or Maybe there's some kind of like unconfessed sin in my life or, or whatever it might be, but this resistance to avail oneself to the resources of the community that are outside the walls right, of the faith. And so I realized there was this deep, deep stigma keeping people from doing it. So they'd either say it's not that bad or that's not something we do, or they would do this. They would say, oh, okay, absolutely. Do you have like a referral? And I'd be like, yes, of course. Like, here's a list, here's a list of people. So then some time would pass. They would come back to my office. The problem would be worse. And I would be like, well, did you call, you know, so and so? And they'd be like, no, no, I didn't. And like, why not? And then they would give me one of the other two reasons. Well, you know, I just, I feel ashamed or whatever it might Mm -hmm. be. And so this issue that you bring up is huge within faith communities. Now, I'm speaking from my tradition. The Christian tradition. But in in speaking to people from other religious traditions, it's very, very often similar. There's a lot of shame attached to these issues that, you know, so there's this kind of belief in a lot of American religious communities that you can bring any kind of problem that you have, be it financial, marital, uh, parental, whatever, but not mental health into the issue because that takes it a step too far. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, needs to be hush, hush, right? Or it's somehow kind of, a, um, um, it, it's somehow a challenge or a threat to the religious system if, these ki- if this kind of suffering uh, can occur. And so one of the biggest, you know, drums that I love to beat is I say, no, no, no. Mental health is an issue that is common to all of humanity. Yeah. It does not discriminate, and we all have it. It's not to say we all have mental illness, but every one of us has mental health, and we must tend to it and we don't and there's no sort of religious exemption from it. it's real, it's there. there's nothing to be ashamed of just because a person battles with depression or they battle with any kind of substance use disorder. That doesn't define their life. These aren't static issues that you move from health to unhealth, but we have to get rid of this stigma that this is something that needs to be hidden or kept away. And we've got to take shame out of the conversation.
1: I agree. And I like in your work where you talk about mental health being on a spectrum, on a continuum, mental health yeah. all the way to mental illness. And and if you could talk some about that too, because I think many things are lots of shades of gray versus black and white and I think that's easier to see with some topics and you know when besides when it comes to our own mental health and well-being and what that really means because I think there's even some misnomers about what it is to be mentally healthy I think mm-hmm. some some men and I'm like genderizing but some men might think it m- might mean to be really strong and keep things in and just put on the your game face to go through life as if nothing's ever affecting you. And that's actually not mentally healthy or for the women that do that, mm. that feel like they have to have this strong persona and take care of everything for everyone and neglect themselves and then end up being tired, having health issues, depleted, feeling angry and agitated. And it's really about caring for ourselves and our totality and it's part of yes. why my podcast is all things therapy, because therapy and mental health and well being encapsulate so many things. Can you talk to us about that spectrum?
0: Yeah, I love that approach. It's it's the totality, right, of the person and the treatment. Um, I think that a lot of people operate on an outdated understanding of of mental illness, and they sort of think in binary terms. And they yeah. think, well, there's some people that are mentally well right? And they have it all together. And it's exactly right. And they, and they typically tie that to some sort of script, right? Mm -hmm. That a man, a healthy man looks this way, a healthy woman looks this way, which we can toss all that aside. It's going to look different for every kind of person, but they say, okay, so there's some people that are just mentally well, and then there are like unfortunate human beings who are like struck with mental illness. And that's where they are, right? It's not true. It's not true at all. I, I ask people to think about it in terms of how they would think about their just general health, because first of all, mental health I think is just the foundation of, of of our overall health. It is, and and so nobody would ever say, like on any given day, right? No one can ever raise their hand and say, "I am in complete health. I am perfectly healthy." Like, what what does that even mean? What they mean to say is that today. When I think about my health, if it's on a continuum and, I, and healthy is way on the right and really ill is way on the left, I'm further to the right than I am to the left. And the reality is because of our complex nature, we know that by the end of the day, you could be further to the left than you were at the beginning. You might come down with a cold. You might be exhausted. Stress might make you feel bad. Who knows what could happen? Or- you could have woken up with a headache and throughout the day, you've put good food into your body, you've had good conversation with friends, you've taken care of yourself and you, you feel you're more healthy by the end of the day. It's similar with mental health. Mental health is a continuum. There's mentally healthy on the right and let's say there's severe mental illness on the left. Mm-hmm. The reality is we are somewhere on this continuum and it's not static. It's constantly moving. And so when we're mentally healthy, right, we're able to regulate our emotions, right? We've got a positive outlook. We're resilient in life. All these things are happening with us, and we can have psychological factors that influence us that move us further to the left. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't actual mental illnesses for whom the way that those symptoms are going to manifest are, aren't different in category, categorically different, right? It's true, yes. right? Like, so a person who suffers with schizophrenia, they're going to suffer potentially from d- some delusions that somebody who doesn't have a diagnosis of schizophrenia are not going to experience, right? There are there are markers. I'm not, you know, of I'm course. not throwing out baselines the, the DSM. of experience different,
1: for people. Different
0: baselines of experience. But the reason I find this issue is so important is because. I think that a lot of the shame around this conversation comes from this belief that if at any point in your life, you raise your hand, particularly in faith communities, and you say, I think I'm depressed, or I think I'm drinking too much, people feel like they're going to get labeled, right? Oh, you're a depressive, or oh, you're an alcoholic, so we're going to put you over in this category, and that's where you're going to stay for the rest of your life. And you're marginalized. And you're
1: marginalized. That's right. That's right. And then the gossip. I mean, I'm drawing experience from a time in my life when I was in a faith based community, and it was so hard for people to even own that they were drinking, because why are you drinking, you're not supposed to be drinking. And, and then the gossip, you know, so it just seems like the things that the disorders that were acceptable, i.e. I saw a lot of overeating and obesity and gossip, but it wasn't okay if you were feeling depressed or anxious. Or having a substance abuse or alcohol issues. So yes, just throwing that in there.
0: Oh, it's so you're so exactly right. There's sort of a a list of approved problems, if you yeah. will, or vices and those which are are not approved. And so it ties all back into your first question about connectedness. The issue is we know when we have mental health struggles, what we what we need is safe places to process this with, other people who can normalize the situation yes. for us can help us see the possibility of what can happen with treatment or change behaviors. But if there's shame attached to it, if we feel like this is not a topic we can bring up, then what we'll do is we will isolate, we will retreat, we will suppress, we will oppress, which only makes the situation more problematic. And so it's this vicious cycle that we get into and so it's so important, right, that we that, that we say, look, any any kind of struggle that you have, right, is not the end of the line. In fact, I very much come from the place of to me, the people that are willing to like look at themselves and say, you know what? The reality is, I do feel anxiety in a different way in my life. And and this concerns me, and I want to address it. Those are the bravest people. On Earth, right? And they're and they're being honest. And all I want them to know is that that's the step that you take that is going to lead you to healing, because you're willing to be brave enough to look at yourself and actually be honest about what it is that you find there, even if it's deeply uncomfortable. And so I want people to know, doing that will, you know, there may be some, um, it 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 may get worse before it gets better, right? Um, But Despair is not where that's going to take you, and I think a lot of people too. They think I don't even want to admit this. I don't want to talk about it because surely, if that's the case, then I'm going to be on this sort of downward slide, and it's going to end someplace I don't want to go. When in fact, the opposite is true.
1: So I'm curious how you're making this better, and other people in your field as ordained ministers and priests and such, like how to be the solution in this mm-hmm. to help spread more, um, you know, the message of of it's okay to speak up about your depression, anxiety, issues that are going on that you need some help with.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate you asking that question. So
1: part of it is, in faith
0: communities, if a person experiences a mental health struggle, what we know from the research are that the first two people they're going to talk to are their primary care physician, so that they're going to maybe tell their doctor, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: or they're going to go tell their pastor, or their, their, their faith leader. Now, here's where that becomes really critical. For the most part, the church has been terrible on this issue, like we've already talked about. Yeah. So oftentimes what happens is a person goes to their pastor thinking they've got a safe place <laughs> right, to express yeah. this, and they get shamed, or they get told what they need to do is go read their Bible some more, or what they need to do is pray harder, or give they, they're given some kind of superficial spiritual bypass right Mm -hmm. and 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 the actual problem is minimized or is completely misunderstood so folks like myself what i'm trying to do is raise the level of discourse within faith communities and just do some basic work about the reality that mental health struggles are real they're pervasive they're in your congregations. And so pastors, if you, since you're going to be the person that a lot of people are going to come to, you need to have some awareness around these issues. So you don't shame. I need pastors also not to engage in unlicensed counseling for which they are yeah. not prepared to do. Yes. And so I want them to be equipped with understanding who's in their community that they can refer people to. So there's there, there's that piece. But another big piece of this is The reason I wrote the book, one of the primary reasons is to to address this topic. I could have written about this and said, you know, I've got experience working as a pastor. I've got experience as a mental health professional. But it was very important for me, and I struggled with this decision, but ultimately I decided the book wasn't worth writing unless I did this, Mm -hmm. is to to be vulnerable about my own experience and to say, look, I identify as a co-sufferer. As I said in the book, I had depression and anxiety that went undiagnosed until yeah. my early 30s. And then, um, you know, I open up the book describing the story of showing up to church drunk mm-hmm. to perform a service and how, you know, it was both a horrific experience, um, but also a wonderful experience that allowed me to, to kind of die in a way and be and be reborn which has happened a couple of different times in my life Of sort of breaking a cycle and coming into something new yes but I I want people to know like it is okay to run into this and it doesn't have to ruin your life it doesn't mean that you're a bad person um it happens it happens it can happen to anyone and I wanted people just to know that I'm not I'm not writing as some kind of like you know moses figure up on a mountaintop but i'm very much just a fellow sojourner down in the valley trying to make my way right i've gathered a little bit here and i'd like to share it um and uh i wanted to do that so there could be a sense of connection so maybe people could could read it and be like oh he, he gets it like me too. Like he, he understands the pain to make people feel less alone, but, exactly. then, to, but then to also offer the hope to say like, look, yeah, these issues are chronic. I'm, I'm going to battle depression my whole life, but let me tell you something. It's highly treatable. And when I take the approach that, that you were referencing earlier and really take the totality of my being seriously, I am far healthier than I am when I don't. And so as bad as you might feel today, I want you to know your tomorrow can be really, really different. And so carrying that message of hope um, is critical to me. So trying to raise awareness around these issues to equip people in faith communities, to resource people out the right way, and then just to destigmatize and normalize it by raising up my hand and saying, I don't just write about these things and read about these things. I suffer from these things. Um, And it's real. And I get it. Um, and yeah. there's a lot of hope to be found.
1: And and that you know what this feels like. And I sense you wrote the book to be an advocate for others and for yourself, to share your story. It really frees yeah. us from the shame that we've carried and the judgments that we've laid upon ourselves. I know that was my experience in writing my book and sharing some of my life experiences. I felt like I could really let go of the judgments I've held against and towards myself and feeling a new freedom then to really be able to be witnessed by others and then to witness Mm. others as a therapist, as a friend, as a partner, to be able to really be with others and have them be with me. And I'm wondering if you, has it been that experience since your book has come out in in a deeper way than before? Oh, completely.
0: I I will never forget in the process after the incident had happened at the church and Things were in turmoil and trying to, you know, I'd recognizing, wow, I've let myself get really unhealthy. There's lots to do. I'm resigning from my position. I was, I remember I was driving with my family in the car, you know, I have two little boys are sitting in the back seat. My wife's next to me and I start crying mm. and it's uncontrollable. And my wife's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I said, I've ruined, I've ruined my life. Like I've ruined our lives. You know, I felt so I felt so ashamed of where I was, I, I believed I had ruined my life. Now, to take that, that picture of that person who, who felt that way and to, to come to today, right, the, the facts haven't changed, but my, my narrative around it has. What I understand yes. now is that I was unhealthy and I needed help. And there were lots of things that needed to be different. And so that shame that I experienced, I own, I've been able to integrate that, that shame. That's part of my story and I don't look at it. I'm able to separate it. It doesn't, it doesn't I didn't ruin, I didn't ruin my life. Right. I, so I had the opportunity to be more honest with myself and look deeper at my life and experience a, a much more joyful and, and true life. And so when I can look at that, the things that I did that were "quote unquote" shameful, and and have an awareness that well they happened and I allowed them to bring me into a more fruitful being. But I don't have shame about it, mm-hmm. and so thus I can live in this place like you're saying that that is freeing. If somebody wants to judge me for it, or wants to try and I mean they they can do that if they want. They can do that all day. I can't control that, right? Um, but it doesn't affect me. In the mm-hmm. negative, in the negative way. It just doesn't. Um, and I don't say that callously. I haven't mentioned the book. Like, even in a situation like that, I, I of course, uh, that's not how I would have drawn it up. I, and I didn't want to hurt anyone. And I didn't want to let anyone down. And, you know, and you can regret that. But at the same time, it's, it, it is my life. And and a, yes. and a part of people finding peace is they get and, and, and be grateful and accept all of it. I'm very influenced by You know the concept that you get in DBT of radical acceptance, and then the Buddhist understanding of you know non-attachment. Yeah, and and then even you know putting into the the Christians the way we talk about is like surrender. But this idea, truly, truly, that every moment is perfect, because this is the this is the moment, and thus if I can keep my my awareness open, and 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 not focus on regretting. ruminating but asking myself what is there to be aware of in, in this moment you know life becomes filled with possibilities and endless amounts of hope and it's just
1: a better way to live and Ryan with that the notion and the power of hope I talk in my book there's a section about hope and how it's really the bridge to living a better life believing new things for ourselves like kind of visioning the future and not sure how we're going to get there. Hope is mm-hmm. is one of those bridges. And then to connect that within your book, you talk really openly about suicide. And mm-hmm. I think that's so important because, you know, at some point in our lives, I think almost all of us know someone who has committed suicide or knows a friend of a friend who has. And can you talk to us about How we can speak to someone we might know that we suspect could be having suicidal ideations, feelings, or behaviors, or just those that have lost someone through suicide. Can you help us with that?
0: Yeah, I can. I'll start with the latter half. If you've lost someone to suicide, um, I want you to know that the difficulty that you're having, you know, grieving that death, um, I want to validate that difficulty. It's, I I don't think there's a more complex death to grieve than the suicide because what it does is it offers a question that otherwise is not really there when we lose someone and it's why yeah, and what role did I play in this, right? And And could I have done something? Could I have done something, right? And so people ask that. And so what I often want to say to people is you'll never fully know, know why. But the reality is, it is not your fault, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, in in most cases, you're right. People love their loved ones as best as they can. No one does it perfectly. Everybody makes mistakes. We could all go back and be more gracious, be more forgiving, be more merciful, be a- always and forever. Suicide is a very complex death, and those who are left behind. Are not responsible, and people. Um, if, if so, if that's going on with you, if you're listening to this, and that's been your experience, and you feel overwhelming sense of guilt, what I would encourage you to do is you got to go and process that with a professional, because you need to be able to get to a point where you can't integrate that loss and not bear the burden of it, the responsibility, um, because otherwise um i think that the transfer of the pain that the person who died was experiencing you just you you can you can you take it on
1: yeah and, and then carry it can, that
0: and you carry that and you don't need to and the person who died wouldn't want you to they would want you to set it they would want you to set it down and setting that down is not dishonoring them i think a lot of people carry the pain cuz they think that's that's a way to sort of keep the person keep the person there and and they wouldn't want that they wouldn't want you to suffer in, in that way Here's what I would say to the person who's worried about someone that they love. Here's the thing. A lot of times people won't ask questions about self-harm and suicide because they're afraid that if they do it, if they ask the question, they're somehow going to put the thought in the person's head. Let me tell you, you're not going to do that they're already thinking about it it's like yes. when people tell me i don't want to talk to we don't want to talk to our teenagers about sex cuz we don't want to give them the idea to, <laughs> trust me they, they're thinking about it they're thinking about yeah. it they're doing it yeah. talking to them only has good outcomes right you want to you want to talk about it. so th- th- they're already thinking about it or you you're definitely not going to make it make it worse if you say to someone you know uh are you thinking about hurting yourself are are you are you thinking about killing yourself, here's what's most likely to happen to that person. When you ask the question, instead of making it worse in their brain, they're probably going to have a moment and say, oh my goodness, about me, this person cares enough that they have noticed me and they're asking me about how I'm doing. And most likely in that moment, they're going to feel really seen and they're going to feel really, really loved. So so, so then, though, the question becomes, well, okay, if I ask the question and the person says to me, yeah, I'm, I'm really depressed and I am thinking about killing myself, well, then what the heck do I say? Which is another reason they don't ask the question. So here's, yeah. my, here's, here's my advice to you. It's really easy. Have the courage to ask the question. When your friend tells you that they're really struggling, here's, what you, here's all you have to do. Listen without judgment Mm -hmm. offer no commentary do not relate it back to your experience don't talk about what your uncle bob did just listen yes without judgment let them tell you what's going on when they're finished telling you reflect back to them empathy say something to the effect of that sounds like you're in an incredible incredible amount of pain Mm -hmm. i can't if i can't imagine if i if i feel like that i that pain just sounds sounds so intense so listen non-judgmentally reflect back some empathy and then here's all you have to do you can say you know there are people who are trained to treat this kind of pain i think you ought to reach out to one of them
1: yeah that's
0: it you don't have to have a solution or a fix. Your friend who's hurting, they don't want you
1: to have the solution or the fix. Nor are they expecting. Nor are they expecting. Nor are they expecting. Just being listened to feels so good. Feels so
0: good. So 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 so, so that you have the courage to ask the question. That's a big deal. You listen non-judgmentally, show some empathy. And then suggest they go to someone who can treat the pain. Yeah. That's all you have to do. And I think people get themselves so worked up over, oh, I'm going to make it worse or I have nothing to offer. And the reality is once you understand you're not going to make it worse and understand that you're right, you don't know what to do, right? Which is fine. You don't need to. It's an unrealistic expectation. And the person doesn't want you to. I think folks might feel more free or empowered to ask those questions. We got to do it. I mean, suicide's yeah. the 10th, it's the 10th leading cause of death now in the United States. It's the second leading cause of death amongst adolescents. Um, you know, uh, it's not, not all suicides that, um, probably perhaps not all suicides are are, are preventable, um, but a uh, lots of them are. So we're talking about the 10th leading cause of death for which we know in talking to people who survived suicide attempts that often they were really vacillating about yes. the decision. They were unsure, they were right, that they wanted to do it. They were ambivalent. So what that tells me is if we can be more proactive and we can actually sh- show up for one another, then we can help a lot of people um, continue to live. And, and that's the last thing I'll say on this is that so so often suicide, when you talk to folks, It's not so much about dying. It's about ending pain. It is. They've just gotten to the the point where the the pain is so intense, they can no longer envision a future. And so, you, you, you know, suicide becomes an option. Then it starts to become a good option. And then it becomes the only option. Because that's the only thing we can think of. That's the only ultimate oblivion that we can understand from where we are in time and place. And so, of course, you increase pain to to an un you know manageable level, and people are yeah. going to choose a, a, oblivion. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Thank you for all that, Ryan. I think that's really yeah. helpful for our listeners to just hear because I, we typically shy away from those conversations because of a fear of not knowing how to handle it appropriately. And it is as simple as you said: is just listening, open heartedly and mindedly. And yes. saying, wow, that sounds so hard. Can I help you find somebody to talk to? Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. Yeah. yeah. Your friends will always
1: need your ears more than they need your tongue. It's true. And so, Ryan, you know, in, in coming to the conclusion of our show, I was curious if you had people in mind that you wrote your book for and what you want to leave readers with and our listeners with.
0: Lisa, I'm so sorry. I'm getting a little uh, interference in this moment. Oh, sure. Should I repeat? Give me. I'm so sorry. Something is, I don't. I'm hearing another video and I can't get it to stop. Oh, that's weird. Can you hear me at all? I can hear you perfectly. I've just got another voice, but I have no idea where it's
1: coming from. We don't hear it through the show. So if you're able. Um,
0: I'm so sorry.
1: It's okay. Are you able to talk through it and ignore it? Yeah, here, let's just, yeah, I'll just ignore it. Okay, cool. What would you like to leave our listeners with and your intention for your readers?
0: Yeah, here's what I'd like to leave the listeners with. When I was feeling my absolute worst, I had a moment where my mother looked me in the eye and she said to me, Ryan, I know that the way you feel right now is indescribable, but what I want you to know is that I felt that way too at a certain point in my life. And what I want you to know is that I don't feel that way anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I want you to know that how you feel today is not how you're going to feel forever. And if you can't believe that for yourself, even in this moment, she goes, Let me believe it for you. And you just hang in there Mm -hmm. and we will get you what you need and you can feel better. And so, what I want people to know is if you're hearing this and you're where I was and you're experiencing pain and you think that nobody's ever felt as bad as you have felt and nobody's ever been as alone as you are, I want you to know it's not true. Your tomorrow can be very different than your today. And if you can't believe it for yourself today, let me believe it for you. Reach out is only strength.
1: Yes, I love that. And it's so true, Ryan. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. And I'd love our listeners to know, is it true that they can find you at RyanCaseyWaller.com for your website, as well as on social media at Ryan Casey Waller.
0: Yes, you can find me Ryan Casey Waller. That's the easiest way. That's my RyanCaseyWaller.com. Ryan Casey Waller. I'm active on Facebook and Instagram. And the book is called Depression, Anxiety, and Other Things We Don't Want to Talk About. And it's available um, Amazon, Walmart, Target, Barnes & Noble. You can find it, I think, anywhere books are sold. So
1: Awesome. I'm so glad you wrote this book and that it's available. I found it to be super meaningful.
0: Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
1: You're welcome, Ryan. I hope you have a really good rest of your evening. Thank you. You too, Lisa. Thank you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. That concludes our show for today. I want to direct you to subscribe to All Things Therapy wherever podcasts are found. Uh, The show is now, as of today, on Amazon Music. And as my listener, you can get a free month with them. They have over 70 million songs available for you to choose from. Go to getamazonmusic.com forward slash ATT for a free month subscription, as well as find all things therapy there. If you like audiobooks as much as I do, I have recorded an audiobook, so I'm even more invested in Audible than I ever was before. Get my book and many other authors' book at Audible and take a free month with them as well as an audiobook download for free as my listener by going to audibletrial.com forward slash all things therapy spelled out. And lastly, if you enjoy this show and my work, I invite you to become my patron through patreon.com forward slash all things therapy, where you can contribute monthly to help me be able to bring you unique and awesome guests and focus on changing consciousness one conversation at a time. I look forward to being with you next week, and I hope everyone has a really good weekend. Bye. Listening to All Things Therapy with Lisa Tahir.